Welcome to the Emerging Temple broadcast for October 17, 2019. I'm Michael Obeyer. I will be your guide for the rest of this broadcast. At Emerging Temple, we seek to analyze current events within the context of God's plans for mankind, which plan he intends to raise a people who shall govern with him in a government to be established at the end of time. Before I go any further, I want to encourage you to subscribe to our channel, and if you see a notification or a bell icon at the bottom, please hit it so you can get notifications anytime we upload new videos. I'd also encourage you to like our videos and to share them with your friends and family. Also, you can go to patreon.com where you will have the opportunity to support this work by looking for our handle, Emerging Temple. So go to patreon.com forward slash Emerging Temple and you'll be able to support the work that we're doing here. Okay. Today, we want to continue on a discussion we had a few weeks ago about the difference between the moral and, um, I would say, ceremonial laws. So um, in scripture, we have um, laws that were given by God, and I uh, use the term moral for things like, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt honor your father and mother. These laws are eternal, so they don't have a beginning. So it, they didn't come into existence when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. These laws are human laws. They're just there. But they have the ceremonial laws, which are um, created as a, as a kind of proper support system for a particular religious system or order or priesthood. And one of these um, laws is something called the law of the tithes. Why that has a lot of controversy is because prior to Moses receiving the laws from God, uh, we also have in scripture an account of um, Abraham giving tithes of his spoils to um, Melchizedek, the priest of God who had met him out in the wilderness at some point in time. So the question is, and this is a question that you find almost everywhere um, today. Um, Christians and people who are not Christian, people ask, These, this, this idea of paying tithes, um, is it something for today? Is it something that Christians are supposed to be engaged in today? And um, th there's good people on both sides that have differing views. I'm going to give us a different perspective today on it from actually what both sides hold. Um, but to make it clear before I go any further, it is my contention that we do not have to pay tithes to anybody today because there is no earthly priesthood to receive those tithes. And uh, anyway, uh, one of the most um, influential ministers, pastors um, in the world, there's a Nigerian minister by the name of um, E. Adeboye. And this um, man recently had to respond to an influential social critic um, in the country called Daddy Freeze. And um, while Daddy Freeze is not necessarily, to me, some Christian figure that um, you know, I take or you take you know, some kind of spiritual guidance from, the fact is that he does have influence, especially with young people, and a lot of people who will watch these videos 
you know, we'll listen to him and we'll have questions about his perspective on things. So I think um, certainly the topics he raises should be addressed. And um, so what, instead of going on and on, why don't I, as I usually do, play a clip for you of um, Daddy Freeze and Adeboye and um, their perspectives on this issue. And then we'll come back and we'll take a look at the word of God as it relates to this particular topic, okay? problem with people who are trying to justify tithing in the new order, using Melchizedek through Abraham as a justification. And here's why. If you've got a Bible, go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 14, and we're reading verse 18. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek served Abraham wine, and he served him bread, and he blessed him, and then Abraham gave him a tithe from the spoils of the war. When you go and pay tithe, how many of your pastors sit you down and give you bread and give you wine and bless you personally? I want to ask you. It's all turned into a money-making venture for them. The only person blessed by your tithe is your pastor. At least Abraham was blessed when he tithed to Melchizedek. He ate bread and drank wine. He told me something on the internet about one fellow who said he was talking about tithe. That we should pay tithe. I, I, at first, I didn't want to listen, but God said, wait now, listen to what he has to say. And the fellow continued to talk, and he said, you see, tithe is supposed to be used to buy alcohol so they can drink in church. I said, ah, well, now we know who is talking. Even mad people don't go to church to drink alcohol. No, 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 no matter how crazy somebody is, the moment you say this is a church, ask him to come in and drink, he will say, I I'm not that crazy. Because even in his madness, he knows when you say this is the house of God, the house belongs to God. This message is for Pastor Adeboe. Good afternoon, sir. I greet you and I bring glad tidings. I saw a viral video that seems to be your response to my questions about tithing. And I want to ask you, sir, why do you debate my facts with sentiment and emotions? What I raised was biblical. Yes, you said that uh, even a mad person knows that you shouldn't take alcohol into the house of God. But that's not what the Bible says. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 14, all the way down from 22 to 29, it breaks it down. It says you should sell your tithe. And when you get to the place the Lord has chosen, one of the things you could buy is alcohol. Holman's version says beer. King James version says strong drink. So why? Okay, so we heard the perspective of Daddy Freeze, and we heard the response of the respected minister. The truth is, Daddy Freeze is correct. 
in the new order, we do not have to pay tithes to anybody. You will never see any of the apostles in any of their letters mention the giving of tithes. Do you do see them talk about us giving offerings to support the work and encouraging us to do so? But that's totally different from the tithe. Now, real quickly, let us look at the tithe as it was given. The tithe represented not necessarily cash, which was a part of it, but the first fruits of your harvest. And the, there were 12 tribes in Israel and the other, the 11 tribes would take a tithe, 10% of what they had profited for the year and give to the Levites, which was the 12th tribe. Now the Levites would take a 10% of that 10%, which is a tithe of the tithe, and they would give that to their brothers who were priests. Not every Levite was a priest. They would give that to the priests. And then the priests would use that for the running of the, of the, of the temple and you know, take care of their own families, etc. Now we come to the New Testament. And in the New Testament, the apostle Paul constantly has a battle with some Christians who believe that if we do not keep the tenets of the Old Testament, that our salvation in Christ isn't complete. So you can see that. But we're going to look at the book of Hebrews and take a more holistic view of the old versus the new, holding in mind that I have said that the pain of tithes at this time is not required. And in some instances, it might actually be a sin. I say that again. For some people, and in certain instances, pain of tithes today might be a sin. Okay, now let's take a look at the book of Hebrews. Uh, let's begin from um, the sixth chapter of Hebrews, if I can find that here. There you go. So here in the book of Hebrews, in the sixth chapter, the apostle Paul, we believe, is saying that there are certain elementary principles of Christ that we need to grow from to move on to something he referred to as perfection, which simply means the right way of doing things. It says, therefore, from verse one, Hebrews chapter six, verse one, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works. This is important, okay? Because dead works here is not talking about bad things. It's talking about thinking that you can earn salvation through being good, okay? So not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of the doctrine of baptisms, plural, and of laying on of hands and of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. So six things, verse three, and he says, and this will we do if God permit, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and verse five, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, if they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Now let's talk about this a little bit. I need you 
to get your Bibles, turn to the Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 to 6, and look it over very well. Paul says, in the sixth verse, he said, it is impossible to grant repentance again to those who at some point in time had a certain experience in Christ if they should fall away. The question is fall away from what? Most people think here it's talking about falling away means going back to the world, to drink, to party, to all kinds of you know, sinful worldly behavior. But if you read the whole book of Hebrews, the whole book, if you read in context, he's not referring to that. He's referring to going back to the law and to the legalism of the Old Testament and using that to replace a relationship, using law and legalism as a replacement for a relationship that you once had with Christ. Okay? Now let's look a little more at some other scriptures to buttress what we're talking about. So let's see if we can find, um, let's go take a look at the same book of Hebrews. Okay? So um, we're going to go to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to go to um, Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 11. We're going to take it from verse 11 to verse, verse 11 to 14. Okay, Hebrews chapter 7, from verses 11 to 14. Okay? All right. So verse 11 says, If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron. Let's look at that again. Verse 11, it says, if perfection, in what, what do we mean by perfection? We simply mean acceptable to God. That's what perfection means, okay? Perfection doesn't mean, you know, <laughs> your steps. That's, listen, don't, be, don't, don't think childishly. Perfection simply means acceptable to God. So he says, if therefore perfection whereby the Levitical priesthood, what he's saying is the people of the Old Testament, if it were possible to be acceptable to God by living by the Old Testament, there wouldn't have been any need for someone to come again and usher in a new priesthood, that someone else being Christ Jesus, usher in the new priesthood, that priesthood being that which is led by a man called Melchizedek, a typology of Christ himself, okay? But because that you could not get perfection or acceptability for, with God through the Levitical priesthood, Christ had to usher in a new order, okay? Verse 12, it says, for the priesthood being changed there is made of necessity a change also of the law. Now, remember that Jesus said, do not think I came to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. Why did he find it necessary to say that? Because there is the law that I started off talking to you about, which is the moral law. 
of the moral law. Don't steal, don't kill, don't covet your neighbor's property, etc., etc. Don't don't bear false witness against your neighbor. These laws didn't come to existence the day God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. They were they've been there from. I mean, when 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 Abimelech wanted to take Sarah, um, Abraham's wife, unknowingly, not knowing it was Abraham's wife. He got a dream from God telling him he's about to die because he stopped taking another man's wife. There was no Ten Commandments. So it's a moral law. So it was there already. When Moses fled from Pharaoh because he had killed an Egyptian, there was no Ten Commandments saying thou shalt not kill. So what law was Moses running away from? So the moral laws have been there, will always be there. The ceremonial laws are temporal, temporary. They serve a purpose until Christ comes. And even in your personal life, the laws still guide you until you're mature enough to know wrong from right. Okay, let's finish um, down to, going down to um, verse 13 now. They say, for he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe. That's the tribe of Judah. So Jesus, who we're talking about, who is our high priest, isn't even from the tribe of Levi. So under that old order, Jesus wouldn't have any right to be a priest. Talk less of a high priest. Verse 13 again. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. Nobody from the tribe of Levi ever served, you know, at the altar. Okay. Verse 14. For it is evident, not, sorry, not the tribe of Levi. No man from the tribe of Judah ever served at the altar of the Old Testament. Okay. Verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Friends, this is important. If Jesus was from the tribe of Judah, which he was, and Jesus is our high priest, which he is, then he could not be a high priest or a priest under the order of Moses that God gave Moses in the Ten Commandments. That means under Jesus, there has to be a new set of instructions from God, okay, that go with this new package. You cannot use the instructions from the old model to this new model that has come to us through Jesus, okay? So let's look again at the book of Hebrews. We we'll continue doing some um, serious study this evening, okay? We'll look at Hebrews and we'll look at chapter nine, okay? I'll take it from verse 11 to 14, perfect. Verse 11 says, but Christ being common high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. This is the important part coming up, verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve 
the living God. Okay. Um, do you remember that in Hebrews 6, when we looked at Hebrews 6 from verse 1, it began with repentance from dead works. You can see here in verse 14, Hebrews 9, verse 14, it says, How much shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, spot to God, purge you, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So the dead works here he's talking about is what you see in verse 13. Those of us who are still offering the bulls and goats and all the sacrifices of the Old Testament. Those are the dead works, okay? They're meaningless, okay? Now, they make the people who participate in them kind of feel good for a season. But even when you are performing these sacrifices or giving these tithes, there is an indication that you're somehow in debt. Now, the sense of debt, the conscience of debt, D-E-P-T, D-E-P-T, I'm sorry, the conscience of debt should have left you at this stage, okay? You are no longer, if you're a believer, you are no longer a servant, okay? Paying off your debts, but you are now a child. You remember when Jesus was here and the apostles went out one day without him and they were accosted on the highway on the way by the Pharisees. And the Pharisees said to them, to Peter, says, does your master pay the temple tax? And Peter quickly answered and said, oh yeah, yeah, of course he does, of course he does. And the Bible says when Peter got back to the house, maybe he walked in through the door, Jesus looked at him and that Jesus was the first to speak. Just had known about the conversation that had taken place out there and said to Peter, tell me, from whom do the kings of this world collect taxes from? From their children or from their subjects? And Peter said, Master, from their subjects, of course. So Jesus said, ah, so the children are exempt. He said, but not to offend the Pharisees, this is what I want you to do. Go catch a fish, the gold fish. The first fish you catch, open its mouth. You will see a coin in there. Take it and go pay the temple tax for myself and yourself. Now, notice that Jesus was laying a principle, telling Peter that, look, those of us in this understanding, those of us in this kingdom are exempt from those rules. And what is the temple tax? The temple tax was a tax that God commanded Moses to obtain from every Israelite male 20 years and over, once a year. It was called the half shekel. That's why Peter went to get one shekel so he could pay for Jesus and himself. Half for Jesus, half for Peter. But Jesus was saying there, look, look we're, we're, we're exempt from this, but we don't want to offend people, so let's just go ahead and do it till they can mature to the point where they can understand that this is not necessary. This message is to you out there that have matured to the point where you can understand that, yes, there's no commandment saying you ought to pay tithes, your nature wants to support the work of God. Nobody needs to come and start beating you across the head and tell you you need to pay 10% of your income. How can you pay 10% of somebody's money to him? Okay, if you have $100 in the bank and you're a Christian, guess whose money that is? Not yours, but God's. 
So where do you get off giving him 10% of his money as though you've done him some favor? He died for you. In the Old Testament, he hadn't died for those people. So they had every right to their money. Okay? You are just a manager. Whatever you have in this world, if you're a believer, you're just a manager. You're not an owner. So we don't even begin to negotiate on whether you give God this. You just, you're a manager. The hundred bucks that you have in your bank account belongs to God. You need to hear from him exactly what you should do with that money. Not what you think you should do with that money. What he tells you you should do with that money. Okay? That's a principle you need not forget. Okay? I want us to go on. We're going to go look at the book of Hebrews. And this time we're going to look at um, Hebrews chapter 10. Okay? Hebrews chapter 10. All right. So from verse 1, it says, we're going to look at verse 1 to 4. It says, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually, make the comers thereunto perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? Because that the worshippers, once purged, should have had no more conscience of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. Notice we're still talking here about dead works. We're still talking, Paul here, still talking to us here, telling us that from verse one, that the law was just a shadow of something more um, substantial to come. And that more substantial is the person of Jesus Christ. All these things, paying tithes, um, offering goats and offering yams and offering um, um, wheat and harvest and vegetables and all these things, all these things were just an ends, uh, just 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 a, a, a foreshadowing of something more meaningful, symbolic of the per of the people whom Christ would would offer to God. Okay. Now I know I know I've got a bit higher than I intended to go, but I'll explain that. Okay. Now the tithe in the Bible represents a group of people from amongst a group of people. The tithe in the Bible represents a people the scriptures refer to as the elect. That is why I just talked about the harvest that will be reaped at the end of time. Okay? These people are referred to as the elect. So when you actually want to take the scripture to the higher metaphysical dimension that it's intended to communicate, you won't be here talking about dollars and cents which is childish, okay? Which is childish, all right? We're talking here about the people, not about money, not about yams, not about vegetables. We're talking here about the people from among the children of God that are set apart to be his elect, to be his government. Remember what we said, that emerging temple has been placed here by God to bring across to you the understanding that he is about to establish his government on this earth and that you who are listening and that you who are hearing and you who have the ability to understand what is being spoken 
whether you're a Christian now or not, have been elected to be part of this government that God is going to establish. And over and over, we have shown you how to begin that journey if you haven't already, which is to know that you can speak to God today and ask him to forgive you of your sins and to place you in the place you ought to be in Christ. And he will give you a new leaf. And if you're already a Christian, that all you have to do is listen to these broadcasts and develop yourself and write to us so we can help you. So you can develop yourself wherever you are in the world. And the Holy Spirit of God, where you are, will build you up and take you to the level he wants you to be. Okay? Now, I want to take us to, I don't have much time, so I'm going to have to squeeze in um, one more scripture. Okay? Um, I'm probably going to make this, uh, probably going to make this a part, probably going to make this a part one. I might have to, you know, continue this um, tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow. Okay. So let's look at Hebrews chapter, same Hebrews chapter 10. Let's go down to verse 26, okay? All right. We're going to take from verse 26 to 39, okay? Look at what it says in verse 26. Okay, I skipped a lot because of time, but it says, verse 26, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. We're going down to 39. It says, for if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. The sin he's talking about here is the sin of going back to the law, going back to living according to the Mosaic laws. Don't eat this. Don't drink that. Keep this. Don't keep that. Pay tithes. Don't pay this. Don't do that. Don't eat clams. Don't eat um, snails. Don't eat pork. And many such things, which Paul already told us are a shadow of things to come. Verse 27 says, But a certain fearful looking of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sorrow punishment suppose ye Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and had done desperate unto the spirit of grace? He's talking about someone who has come to receive Jesus Christ. You, you received Christ even when you weren't even doing right. You, you became free. You were you enjoying the Holy Ghost. And then suddenly you joined the church. And now they started putting all these rules and regulations on you that they, they were basing it based on something they read in the Old Testament. Okay? Verse 31 says, it is a fearful thing. Sorry, verse 30 says, for we know him that had said, vengeance belongeth unto me. I will recompense, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But call to remembrance the former days in which, after you were illuminated, ye endured a great flight of afflictions. You see what he's saying? He says, remember when you first became born again, when you didn't know anything, and you, you didn't know the Bible, you didn't know so much, all you knew was you had peace and salvation, and you were filled with the Holy Ghost, and you you had, you had pleasure in God and you, had, you loved the things of God. And you couldn't wait to get to church. He says, remember that. 
What caused you to lose that? Okay? And people looked at you and said, you were strange now. Look at verse 33. It said, partly whilst you were made a gazing stock, both by reproaches and afflictions, and partly while you became companions of them that were so used. For ye had compassion of me in my bonds, and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing yourselves that you have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence. Why is he saying don't cast away your confidence? It means you're losing hope in something that you have now. And you're trying to trust in something else. It says, cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by what? Faith. He's telling you not by works. Faith. Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe in the saving, to the saving of the soul. You see that? He says, if you draw back to works, his soul shall have no pleasure in you. Okay? So this question about tithes is a bigger question than just tithing. It's all about living your life by the unction and the pushing and the movement of the Spirit of God versus the observance of man-given diktat man-given laws okay there's a reason why the scriptures tell us that the, it, the, it was mediated by angels but this spirit the law of the spirit of life that you and i have received in place of the law of sin and death has within itself the capacity and the power to make you and i do those things god wants us to do so the spirit of christ in you makes you want to give not only your money but yourself to Christ. And you should never lose that for the sake of trying to keep the law. Okay, friends, I've taken quite a lot of time today. Um, God willing, if there's an entrance or an opening tomorrow, we will continue on this subject. If something else needs to be you know, addressed, God willing, we'll address that. But um, I'm hoping this has been a kind of direction for you. And remember to write us you know, through our Facebook page, Emerging Temple, or Better still to comment, go to the comment section, the YouTube videos here, and put in your questions, put in your comments, put in anything you want so that I can address these things offline, you know, more, you know, more in depth. Okay. So um, until we speak again tomorrow, I want to encourage you to stay strong. Okay. God bless you. Talk to you.